After further review, as this is one of Frank's favorite songs. Do not listen to him. He is selling you snake oil. We don't sell snake oil, but we provide an entertaining and thought-provoking sports show on 88.3 WXUT. Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And sometimes we provide a life lesson. Ain't that right, Frank? Life lesson, my ass. Don't be a hater. And tune in to AFR Saturday mornings, 11 to 1 on WXUT. Fula. further review got that round ball rock john tesh the original nba on nbc now it's being used for fox sports college basketball uh broadcast and on those broadcasts is toledo's very own jimmy jackson's on there but we have our very own here on 88.3 after further review darren cone the coach and darren welcome back to the show how's it been What's up, Derek? All is good. All is good. We're so blessed. But, man, you got to take it easy on Frank, man. You beating old Frank up. No, oh, well, that, that's just part of the show. We've been doing it since 2015, actually. So that's one one cool, cool thing. Uh, we've had this show going on. So he, he's, he's used to it. There's actually going to be another commercial where we use David the Man and God Harris. Nice. So we brought Darren on Cone on here on the show. We're going to talk a little bit of the end of the season for the NBA uh, high school basketball and NCAA basketball with the Final Four. But your thoughts actually on um, the high school season? I know it's been over a month. Yeah, I mean, I thought we had a tremendous level of high school basketball in Northwest Ohio this year. Some coaches that are really getting the most out of their kids and some really good teams who had the opportunity to compete in the state tournament and make a little run I, I think you know I don't think there was a whole lot of surprises I kind of feel like it ended up just the way I thought um, heading into the season kind of how the tier the teams were tiered I really thought Lima Senior was the best team in the 419 area code and they went the furthest in the state tournament they kind of proved that that's uh, where they were and and where they belonged and you know I thought right after that you had Savania Northview and Toledo Whitmer I really thought that there was kind of flip them a quarter of who is the next best team and those two both you know survived and and made a nice little run as well in the division one state tournament and then i felt like right after that your your next tier was perrysburg and toledo central catholic i really felt those were the five best teams in northwest ohio and pretty much that's how it ended up and shook out in terms of how far they made it in the state tournament and how they finished in their leagues and that type of thing and then there was a whole plethora of teams kind of after those five that were very competitive, like Toledo St. John's and uh, Cardinal Stridge and Ottawa Hills and things of that nature. But Lima Senior was the top dog, and they made it the furthest. So, you know, Sylvania Northview had a fantastic record-breaking season uh, for their school and for their league and a lot of great individual players um, and, you know, breaking records and heading to college and that type of thing. So just a fantastic year to be proud of for Jeremy McDonald and some really good teams, uh, you know, a lot of youth at Whitmer, a lot of youth at Central Catholic, and then just steady Eddie at Perrysburg, always solid and strong. So those were the top five in my mind heading into the season. I kind of feel like that's pretty much how they ended up after the season was concluded. Mm, that, 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 that's pretty. Any standouts, player individual-wise, any newcomers? You, you know, I, I really thought uh, 
that Antoine West, that Toledo Whitmer lived up to the hype. I mean, there was a lot of hype about him um, being a really strong freshman. And early in the season, we heard about several other freshmen in Northwest Ohio. And I felt like, you know, throughout the duration of the season, you know, he was the most consistent from start to finish of helping his team win and compete at the top of the league. So, you know, I was really uh, surprised how many great freshmen there were in Northwest Ohio that were, you know, contributing on varsity, starting on varsity, being even in many cases the team's best player as it was for West. And, you know, Jerry Easter Jr. over at Emmanuel Christian and Jamison Heck at Toledo St. Francis. And the list goes on and on. I mean, there really, there's probably 10 high quality freshmen that competed at the varsity level in the 419 area code that um, were very, very respectable um, for their initial campaign and make the future extremely bright, uh, you know, going forward for, for these young guys that are going to be stepping up into new roles next year and, and, and not, not being the surprise anymore, but being the hunted and leading their teams. Now, this was the first year that um, basically no COVID. Now, that was a little bit different, wasn't it? Well, you know, I mean, it was fantastic of just having the peace of mind that, you know, for the most part, 95 to 98% of the games, you didn't have to question if the game was going to go on or not, right? The game was going, they were going on, they were going on as scheduled. Um, everybody was in the building, whether it was the cheerleaders and the fans and the bands. Um, so the environment was back. The, the TV crews and the radio crews were back on site instead of remote or not broadcasting at all. So, you know, I think the... Uh, level of exposure and attention to our fine athletes and the teams that were competing in the Northwest Ohio area, you know, they got the recognition that they deserved this year back because there was no delays or fears of delays or cancellations. And, 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 and then rightfully so with the players and coaches, I mean, everybody was healthy. We didn't have many uh, issues where players or coaches had to sit out due to having COVID. Um, there were no teams losing or having their season come to an abrupt ending because of COVID, like which happened the previous year in the state tournament. You know, I always say, one of the things I always say is, you know, only, only one team ends the season on a win. Well, that wasn't the case the previous year because there were teams that were, you know, winning in the state tournament and had their team, you know, their season ended uh, because of tracing or COVID, you know, that affected their individual team. So that was unfortunate and great to have it kind of back to normal this year. But what was one of your top games of the year? Oh, boy. That you broadcast it. I'm yeah. old. I don't know if I remember them games anymore. <laughs> Did you do the St. John's Whitmer District Semi? Yeah, I mean, St. John's Whitmer was a fantastic game over at the Sullivan Center. You know, the overtime contest. And um, and then, you know, obviously the Lima Senior Northview game at University of Toledo Savage Hall. I mean, those were two uh, very, very memorable games in the, uh, in the state tournament. Mm -hmm. So, last thing. How do you prepare for a game? Like, what is it normal? You, usually you have two or three games a week. Are you talking about from, like, the TV commentary standpoint? Yes, TV commentary. Well, I, I mean, you know, I, I kind of relate it to studying for a test when you're in high school. You know, you got to research and find as much information as you can, just like you're studying for a history test. You know, you're trying to find out every detail about the team that you can, whether it's the head coach, the assistant coach, and the players, all the information you can statistically uh, their tendencies, what they like to do as a team, what they like to do individually, offensively, defensively. And then you try to study every little fact. Um, were their parents, were their parents athletes? Do they have siblings that were athletes? What are their GPAs and grades like? You know, are they being recruited? Who are they being recruited by? Do they play other sports? You know, just every little information that you can find. Uh, what does the team do offensively, defensively, 
uh, what's their history against this opponent and you and you get all that stuff on paper and then you study it um, you know for a few days prior to the game and you want to just have as much of those nuggets fresh on the top of your mind I'm sure you can have notes in front of you or you know I always prepare a folder of all the information um, but you know when you're trying to add value to a broadcast to the listener you gotta for the most part it's got to come naturally off the top of your head or it's got to be triggered by an event in the game so otherwise it's not timely information so it doesn't necessarily fit if you're just reading off note cards you can always tell when an amateur broadcaster is doing that because it just has no flow um, if you really want to be sure you got to you know add value within the flow of the game um, so the listener at home should not only players of the team or maybe even the sport itself but you're not detracting from them viewing the actual contest itself uh, so I, I relate it very much to studying for a high school or college exam where you're trying to cram as much information in your mind. So when you're called upon it to share what you know, you're able to do it on point. Yeah, and it, it's also kind of hard, too, um, at the high school because college, they give you the information, you know, the SID, Sports Information Director. So in high school, I mean, because you, you I've watched the broadcast, you do have all the little tidbits. And I'm like, how do they get these little tidbits considering in high school? Some schools, it's tough to get information. Every day we're hustling, Derek, but you are absolutely right. Obviously, some coaches are much more uh, much more available to provide information, and they put much more time into um, answering questions or providing feedback and details. Other coaches, you know, sometimes you don't get anything at all. Uh, but, you know, me being from Northwest Ohio and being around the game for 25-plus years, a lot of times I know the stuff already in terms of, you know, uh, where people have played, where their relatives have played, know how the season has been going. So, you know, it's it, it's sort of experience from being in the fire. Like, for example, Antoine West, I coached his father when his father was in seventh grade. I don't even know that his father remembered that. I had to uh, bring that up to him after one of the games. But, you know, so I knew um, his background and his history and things of that nature. So the longer you're around the game, some of that stuff just comes naturally. But certainly it's very helpful when you have a head coach or an assistant coach who's willing and able to, uh, respond to questions or emails or calls or texts, but I try to reach out to every coach. And, no, not try. I do reach out to every coaching staff prior to every game that I do. Oftentimes, I reach out to uh, parents or family members of players involved in the game as well. So wait a minute, you actually coached the man's father in seventh grade? Yeah, that's that's showing our age, right? Uh, you may have saw our game, uh, Perrysburg versus Northview. That was kind of a pretty cool game. The first matchup, I did a whole. Uh, halftime segment on the Hunt family and preparing for that um, segment I talked to 13 different people either in or around or involved with the Hunt family to get as much information and share the story accurately about all the brothers and cousins and family members who've been college athletes. Yeah Kelly Hunt was actually my age he went to Central and uh, Bowling Green and played basketball and I believe baseball wasn't he there when you were there? He was he was he he, he was still playing baseball so he played one year of basketball four years of baseball and he had just finished playing basketball when I got hired at Bowling Green State University and he would still come around practice and occasionally open gym but that's when he was uh, dedicated fully to being a varsity baseball player mm -hmm. nice. uh, now so now the high school season was over did actually did you watch the state tournament and, and do you have any like goals to maybe do state tournament games as far as you know the state championship games like in Dayton well, it, those are all. It just all depends on the network, the location, and the local network. Because as you move down in those certain ranks, a lot of times there's licensing and agreements on who can and cannot cover. Um, so for a high school game, usually it's not fiscally, um, 
you know, advantageous to travel like for a game like that down there. But, uh, you know, I, I keep my, I keep my, uh, avenues or options open for any opportunity, but that's nothing that I've really ever pursued. Mm, nice. Now, what did you think about this year's, uh, NCAA final four? I mean, it was, it was great. I think it had the blue bloods in the, the final four and then it had some upsets that you could actually watch. I mean, the whole NCAA tournament was fantastic as always. You know, you had the you had the upsets early in the rounds, and you had the Cinderella teams, um, even even some of the larger blue bloods that made deeper runs than people expected. I mean, heck, a month before Selection Sunday, you know, there was a lot of question if North Carolina would even make the NCAA tournament. They were saying the ACC was only going to have three teams, and yada yada yada. And next thing you know, you know, they got two in the Final Four. So I thought the the Final Four itself was amazing. You know, you had the Blue Bloods, as you alluded to, in the Final Four, really four of the five or six most historic programs. And then you had the whole, uh, uh, I guess, sentimental story with Coach K, you know, ending his career as, a, as the winningest head coach all time. So, you know, at some point he was either going to win on a win or ended on a win or ended on a loss. Uh, so, you know, I thought it was fantastic. And a lot of players, um, you know, really highlighted what they're about prior to you know, the opportunity to go professional and you get know, guys fighting through injury. Uh, so, you know, I thought it killed every storyline that you could expect from college basketball standpoint and the final four and that type of thing. And I will tell you that my bracket was absolutely busted probably the first or second day, like everyone else, but I did pick Kansas uh, from the very beginning to win the championship. And they did. Uh, I always, uh, as a total basketball nerd, I always do an NIT bracket as well. And I had Texas A&M to win the NIT bracket. Uh, and they lost at the buzzer, basically were runner-up. So I was pretty close on on getting the uh, the main teams right, but man, along the way it was a bumpy journey. Wasn't Xavier ended up winning, and he ended up beating in the first round. And then Travis still got fired, but it, actually Xavier ended up winning the whole thing. Yeah, and they barely won it. I mean, they won it in the final, you know, thirty seconds over Texas A and M, and. You know, pretty cool that he ended up, uh, Travis Steele ended up actually getting hired at Miami of Ohio. Mm-hmm. So he was only unemployed for about a week or so. And then uh, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the Xavier interim coach's name right now, but he just got a Division One coaching job. Uh, what, Georgia, State. Georgia State, I believe. Yeah. Hayes. Yeah, there you go. And he won a tremendous job to be able to step in as an interim role and keep everyone positive and playing together and, and have that chemistry to go win, you know, a handful of games in a row. Uh, when it's winter, go home each and every night out. I mean, that's a that's a tremendous, tremendous uh, feat that he accomplished. So that was kind of fun to watch, too, kind of a side story there. Now that Coach K has stepped down, a, a legend in, in the, the, the landscape of college basketball starting to change with the transfer portal. And now you've got people transferring within the conferences. A coach wins a basketball game, and then they call him in the office, and he gets fired. Do you think the landscape – it's starting to change where you're not going to get long-tenured coaches anymore. I mean, Bill Self and Tom Izzo will probably go by the wayside in a few years. What's the rat race like, as they like to call it in the biz? Well, it's worse than ever, and uh, I don't think this, the landscape's starting to change. I think it changed about, you know, 10 years ago where, uh, you know, coaches don't even get to finish three-year contracts half the time anymore where, you know, that, that was – that was always assumed that you were going to, when I got into the business, it was always assumed that you were going to get the recruiter recruiting class and graduate through them through as seniors. So it always, you always assumed you had four years minimum. And now, I mean, there's coaches getting fired after one, two, three years consistently um, because there's so much, you know, outside pressure. I think there's a lot of administrators who don't have backbone. 
Um, and they always say it's about, you know, declining ticket sales or declining revenue, but then they spend double the money paying buyouts or paying coaches and they have to pay more for the new coach. So it's sort of a, a play on words. It's not necessarily uh, authentic. I don't think all the time, but yeah, it's definitely a huge change to the landscape. Um, uh, and overall in terms of coaching job security, um, the salaries are going up, but the timeline of your, of your, uh, position um, is getting shorter and it's not only with head coaches it's not publicized as much but there's a lot more of turnover with the assistant coaches Mm. usually you know an assistant coach would leave a staff when he got a better job but now assistant coaches are getting fired left and right you know by the head coach they're switching their staffs in the off season Um, and a lot of that's because assistant coaches are getting paid more money than ever before so there's a shorter leash um you know, and then you talk about the transfer portal. I was actually just talking to an NBA agent this morning, and we were talking about um, this is the most we've ever seen players not transfer, but transfer within the same conference. Mm-hmm. Because you used to, when you asked for a release to transfer, it prohibited, uh, prohibited you from um, transferring to any school within the same conference. And now it's, you know, commonplace to leave your school and go to a school you're very familiar with because you already played them twice that year. So, you know, that really, uh, you know, you're, you're darn near uh, uh, recruiting when you're preparing a scouting report for your opponent because that kid could be playing for you the next year. And then you add in the whole debacle of NIL where the players are, you know, endorsing themselves and getting paid and that type of thing. And there's some value there, but right now it's just, it's, it's a non-sustainable model right now where it's just sort of uh, there's no rules, there's no control, nobody knows what's going on. And, and I think it creates a selfishness of the players, you know, partially rightfully so they're trying to make as much money as they can. Uh, or get involved in as many um, situations as possible, especially at the highest level. But, uh, but you know, it, it really takes the, the highlight off of the amateurism and the college athletics and playing for the name on the front of the jersey. And, it, and there's just so many distractions. Uh, when you're trying to prepare a team and have trust in each other and faith in the process, the, the players are so distracted with all these other business entities that uh, it, it's, a, it's a very, very interesting climate right now in college basketball. And I know we were talking off air. I'm not envious. I'm not envious or jealous of a lot of these guys right now from all those different standpoints and facets of what you have to deal with at the uh, division one college level right now. Then what about division two D three or NEI? Would that be better for maybe a coach, especially if they're entering or they just want to come in like Sean Miller's going back to Xavier and, you know, he was in the midst of that NCAA investigation. Well, you know, I mean, as you go down a level, it just it just waters down the the complications, right? You know, everything I just talked about is less. Coaches are getting paid less. There's less opportunities for players to transfer. There's less opportunities for players to monetize themselves. You know, there's less pressure uh, to win in, in shorter time periods. So you know, it just trickles down. So certainly, um, you know, it, it's it's a totally different conversation when you talk about the Division One level than you do. Division two, Division three, or even junior college. Actually, junior college is is really picking up pace and steam, if you will, or notoriety again, where it had really started to lose a lot of its power, if you will, with all the prep schools and things of that nature. But now junior college is becoming, you know, a, a better option than some of the other levels to escalate your career as a coach and to jumpstart or kind of skip over some hurdles as a player so uh, you're going to see more and more players going to junior college uh, that don't necessarily have to due to academics or things of that nature um, than have in the past Mm. 
uh, that's actually a, a really good tidbit. Where do you think it'll eventually go? I mean, it probably will die out. I know they got the COVID and people are taking their COVID year, but eventually that will die out as well. But it's got to be somewhere where someone get the, the stuff gets reeled in. Well, you know, that's a great question. I don't know that anyone has an answer to that. And the reason why, because I don't think anyone really knows who's ultimately in control. You know, the NIL was proved, you know, was approved by the government. You know, this was a legal issue. So are they ever going to step in and put regulations on it? Uh, or is the NCAA in charge? Is the NCAA ever going to, you know, put regulations on NAL and the processes uh, or the, you know, the transferring of players, um, the coaches of leaving? I'd, li- I'd love to see them put, you know, some rules on, uh, you know, coaches not being able to leave or shop for jobs until their season's over. You know, how can you leave kids in the middle of your season because you get a better job? I don't, I don't think you should be able to talk to a coach about a new job or firing a coach during the playing season. I, I, that's just my personal opinion. I don't know if that's right or wrong or if it, if it would ever have any merit, but I just think it's, it's a huge injustice to the big picture of everyone involved for A, a coach to be fired during a season or B, a coach to be able to leave and take a new job during a season. Um, you know, you should have to finish out your term um, before you can, you know, move on or do something different. And it's, it is really kind of mirrors the player scholarship situation. If you don't want to renew a player scholarship, you have to do it after the semester, after the season's over. You can't third game of the season just take a scholarship away. You know, you can suspend them or remove them from the team, but you can't take a scholarship away. Yeah, they got to get their books paid for and everything like that, and their schooling paid for. They cause still, because remember, they're still student athletes, and the and students should be the word that's that's emphasized. So, would you basically coaches are looking at it now? They probably want to go the pro route than really going through high level Division One college basketball. Uh, you know, I I think it it just depends on the demographic or the particular situation or kids you're talking about. I mean. There's a, and also the sport, but in, you know, in terms of basketball, yeah, there's probably a large majority who aspirations are to play professionally or play in the NBA, and that's why you're seeing some people skipping the college route to go to the uh, NBA G League, or you've seen guys that have went and played over in Europe, and you know, there's lots of conversation or at least muttering that you know there's going to be a, a, a kind of a third party league that opens up or starts, and you know, where players can get paid uh, fresh out of high school to play for up to three years as a transitionary league to the pros. Will that ever happen or will it ever get substantial funding behind it to make it legitimate? I mean, technically they're already happening. Um, But, you know, so that's all remains to be uh, seen. But the reality is, is the monopoly of, you know, one option after graduating high school is coming to an end, if not already over. Um, And it's just going to be interesting to see how the dust settles over the next three to five, maybe even 10 years. But, you know, change is inevitable. Um, I'm not sure if some of the changes right now are good, uh, but we shall see. You know, some of them will stick, some of them won't. Well, I was talking about really not the player, but from the coach's aspect, you know, if you if you have to deal with worry about getting fired and then keep moving your family like almost like a military person, wouldn't it be better just to coach the pros as a coach? Oh, well, I mean, you know, it's it. you could maybe say it's better from some standpoints, the, the thing I'll say about professional basketball is it's all basketball. You know, it's basketball all, you know, all day, every day. And, and you really have three very slow months 
in your calendar year where the college level 75 percent of your life has nothing to do with basketball it's recruiting and academics and fundraising and summer camps and and community involvement and all these different things that you have to do that have nothing to do with practice and scouting and and, and playing in games so you know the quality of life you could maybe argue is much better at the professional level than at the college level however um, I don't know that there's any more job security at the professional level. You know, I mean, those guys get turned over just as fast and there's a fraction of the jobs available when you talk about 30 NBA teams as opposed to 350 Division One colleges. So there's way less jobs. Um, yes, they're probably compensated um, higher or at least in most cases higher, but the, but the leash or the rope isn't any longer. That, that, that is true. Now, now we transition into pro basketball. That was a good segue. Uh, your thoughts on how the NBA season went? You know, I think it was, uh, it was, it was great to see, uh, same as we talked about with high school, that, you know, there was this consistency. You still had some issues with some players not being able to play in certain places due to vaccines and that type of thing, and you still had guys testing positive. But for the most part, you knew the games were going to be played night in and night out. I thought uh, – it's been a very fun and competitive uh, year. I don't think there's any just dominant team. I was actually looking at the the, the uh, NBA playoff brackets, and I'm like, man, there's like three teams in the West that can legitimately win, maybe even you could argue four, and and there's certainly four, four to five teams in the East that can legitimately win. So I don't know um, if I remember any parity like that in many, many years, whether that's due to teams that have lack of chemistry or there's injuries or there's, you know, just the way the rosters have kind of shook out this year. Um, you know, I don't think there's no dominant team or there's no one that is just you expect to just run through this and win this whole deal. I, I really, truly think that there's um, eight teams, maybe nine, that at the end of the day, a couple of months from now, I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the NBA finals or if they've won the whole thing. No, what thoughts do you have on that? Who, who do you think has a good shot? Some people are picking Miami and Phoenix as the NBA Finals. Now, obviously, we still got the playing games to play, but you know, basically to, to, to decide who's the eighth seed. But most people are saying I'm seeing Heat, Bucks. I mean, yeah, I mean, excuse me, Heat, Phoenix. Yeah, you know, I, I, I really like, like I was saying, I don't really have a favorite. I don't think there is a favorite. I think the top three seeds in the West all legitimately could win the West. And honestly, I don't think Dallas as the fourth seed has enough, but I wouldn't count out Utah as the five seed. So I really, there, there's three for sure teams that can win the West uh, and potentially three and a half, if you will. And I think the top four seeds in the East could all win the East. And I'm not betting ever against Brooklyn when Brooklyn as a seven seed has, you know, two of the, maybe four best scorers in the NBA on their team. I know they, they can't guard a spinch post, um, but, you know, they have enough talent where they could potentially, you know, figure it out. They, they got guys on their team who've won championships. I'm not saying they're going to do it. I'm not counting on them to do it, but it wouldn't surprise me if they make a crazy run either. So those top four teams in the East and Brooklyn, I think there's five teams in the East that you, you, you maybe wouldn't bet on them to win, but you're not going to say, hey, I bet my life that none of them can do it because I think all five of those teams can. And the same thing, you know, so that really eight to eight and a half teams wouldn't surprise me if they're in the NBA finals. Mm. Uh, do you think the Brooklyn Nets have a, a decent shot? I mean, you know, like I said, right now today, no, you know, because <laughs> they can't guard a fence post. They're, they're just awful. They're all, they, 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 they give up 80 points at a YMCA game, but you know, they have the two most potent, 
offensive scorer tandem mm. in the league. I mean, you know, so an offense wins games and guards wins championships down the stretch when it's uh, 30 seconds on the clock and you need a bucket. So I'm not w- betting against them ever in any any one game. I think they've had chemistry issues. They've had injury issues. I don't think, you know, they've really committed and played hard this year. But when you got the most talented guys, you know, there's always a chance. Oh, wow. That, 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 is, that is true. Uh, what about the Bucks? Can, can they repeat? You think about it real quick. If there's 10 seconds on the clock and you need a bucket, who are you taking over Durant or Irving? If either one of them have the ball in their hand, who are you saying they're not going to score? You know, I mean, but but this guy would. I mean, you you taking Devin Booker over Kevin Durant? You know, you taking Embiid over Kyrie Irving to get you one bucket? I mean, I'm not. So you know, again, I don't I don't know if they can beat anybody because their defense. But when you got the best players, and if you're in a game like that, uh, you know, you certainly got a chance. You certainly got a chance. Right. That that is true. Now let's talk about how do you like the playing game? Do you do you do you think that it's um. It's it's good, or should they just eliminate it? You know, is it is it a gimmick? I mean, I love it from a fan standpoint. Um, if I was a coach or a player, I'd probably hate it. <laughs> but that's because the NBA is full of you know pampered, soft prima donnas. Let's be honest; we're they're the most spoiled of the elite one percenters. But as a fan, you absolutely love it. I mean, the TV ratings were off the hook because um, you know Americans, especially, but just people in general, they love to see the negative, right? They love to see someone's seasons over. It's one and done. And it very much copies the uh, NCAA tournament type uh, atmosphere because you play your whole season and then you get to this tournament and you have to win one game to stay alive. And that's re- really what they what they've captured. And, you know, so it puts the pressure on and it, and it brings the viewers to see that one moment. It's not a first round you know, five game or seven game series like they've had in the past that nobody cares about. They're going to wait you know, to game seven. That's what people want to tune into, game seven. So now you have all these game sevens here with teams that are on the fringe of of the playoffs. And, you know, it was originally, I think the original intent was to keep teams from sitting their best players down the stretch. And I think that, um, you know, helped a little bit for those teams in sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth place. It really didn't affect any of the teams at the top or any of the teams at the bottom of the standings. Um, but I think um, it, it did work. From that standpoint, it put more competition and value on trying to get those spots. And also, you know, it extends the playoffs. What happens every year when the when you got to vote for the four teams in the college football playoffs? Everyone's like, what about the fifth team? The fifth team should have been in. The fifth team should have been in. Well, we've answered that as well because now 10 teams get in instead of eight on each side. So you got your two teams that were battling and on the fringe that you can't say they didn't get their chance. You can't say they didn't get a shot. They get to play in a winner, winner go home or a do or die situation. So it's fantastic. I mean, people love it. They tuned into the TV. The networks made money off of it because they got games that people wanted to watch. Uh, they got extra games, you know, prior to the actual first round. So, you know, again, from a fan standpoint, fantastic. Uh, LeBron complained about last year. Completely understand why, <laughs> right? right? Completely understand if you play your whole season and then you play one game in the tournament and you're done. But that's what it's about. That's why you got to step up and, and, and earn your paycheck. Now, man, you're really, you really, I can tell you're getting better at this television thing because that's another segue is the Lakers and LeBron. They didn't make the playoffs. Frank Vogel is out as coach. Just the mess. 
Westbrook, sometimes called Westbrick. The whole blame went on poor Frank, and basically this team was just unhealthy and just poor. But Frank takes the 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 fall. What are your thoughts on the Lakers this season? Well, they're terrible. First off, <laughs> I mean, but but I mean, we kind of knew that going in, right? I mean, you know, the two Laker fans were like, "Oh, this team's amazing." Uh, they're one of the oldest, if not the oldest, roster in the league. They were littered with injury problems throughout the year. Go figure. You have the oldest team. They're going to have the most injuries, right? They had chemistry issues from day one. You've heard every novice uh, sportscaster in the last decade say, you know, LeBron James is most successful when you surround him with shooters. And they make a team with no shooters around him or very little shooting around him. Um, you got guys who are quote-unquote former stars who've never won. You know, there's certain players, we've talked about this before, that you're just never, ever going to win with. And the Lakers got three of them on their damn team. So, I mean, it's just like, what do you, what do you expect? They bring in these guys that, you know, they create this mega team uh, of, 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 of guys that are, you know, closer to retirement than they are to their all-star years. And they just never really had a good chemistry. They never really knew who was the point guard. Uh, you know, they struggled to shoot, struggled to defend. Um, and then I think because some of the players were so uncomfortable, man, you know, they've had very disappointing individual seasons, um, you know, s- certainly from those uh, role-playing spots that are supposed to be supporting LeBron. So extremely frustrating. I mean, and of course, the Lakers took the cowardly way out and fired a coach, you know, who was just fine when they won the championship and who they had to go hunt down to bring in there. But, I mean, he had nothing to do with creating that team. I mean, if anything – you know, maybe they should go look to LeBron since they give him so much uh, input on decisions. But ultimately, we both know that the GM and the administration, the person who put this team together, is the one that should have been fired. But ownership, you know, they never want to do that. They always want to fire the coach because it's easier. It saves face in the public. You can turn around and go get another new coach the next day and then try it again. But ultimately, the problem, you know, they might get better next year, but if they don't make some significant changes – you know, it's the same problem. You got the same cast of characters, the same age, the same injuries, the same weaknesses, the same guys who don't know how to win. Um, no shooters around LeBron. Uh, and you got some contracts that are going to be really hard to trade and really hard to dump. So um, they're, in a, they're in a tough situation. In this situation, was it a blessing in disguise for Frank Vogel? I mean, he, it just, like I said, it was no win. I mean, I tell people all the time, people try to, put a lot of value on the coach but at the same time though you need talent to win and they just didn't have it well i don't i I don't know if i agree with saying they don't have talent i mean they have you know a handful of the top 75 players of all time they got talent they just don't have youth they don't have shooting they don't have chemistry they didn't have the puzzle pieces are kind of like spread out all around the kitchen table they're not they're not plugged together uh in, in a nice neat uh, puzzle. So, you know, and, and no, it's not a blessing in disguise. I mean, because it's never good to get fired. Right. Mm. Especially, especially when you're in a position or a career where there's only 30 jobs in the entire world, they're not very easy to come by right. and you've already worked at a couple different teams. So you start eliminating your options going forward. So yeah, of course you get a lot of money and you could roll off into the sunset, but if you're passionate about doing that job, it's never good to get fired. And, you know, of course you want to, you, you, remember, you won, you won a championship. You won a world championship with with a, a part of that cast. And, you know, now to be basically kicked to the curb because you sort of went from first to worst, if you will. I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but you kind of went from the top to the bottom. Um, and they're like, oh, all of a sudden it's your fault. 
you know <laughs> so that that's that's quite disappointing and it and it sort of uh sort of shows a lack of appreciation which is very prevalent in the sports world <laughs> they they did just put it on them what were the what do the lakers need to do to, to fix the problem and at least make it to the playoffs cuz last year they got in the playing game got knocked out and this year just didn't even make the playoffs at all well i mean you know they got to get younger they got to uh get more shooters they got to get consistent point guard play you know i mean when they let they let uh you know their point guards all run away after they won the championship which was kind of interesting and unique to me uh, because they were a little older and they kept all the older guys other than the point guards um but ultimately i mean i and this is gonna sound crazy but i i just i'd love to see the lakers just get sold you know, uh, you know, Jerry Buss passed a long time ago. The family's been trying to do it, but I always feel like they're kind of half in, half out. You know, they love the they love the notoriety and the celebrity and the money that the that leading the Lakers um, provides them. But I don't know that they're just invested into doing it the right way and putting the right people in place and and winning ball games. And you know, that's just kind of my outsiders uh, uh, gander. You know, my viewpoint from just watching it from afar. Um, but I'm not so sure it wouldn't be best just to sell it and get some new youthful energy in there. Of course, that's never going to happen, um, but, but that's what I'd like to see. Um, but ultimately, you know, pick a coach and stick with them. If you're unhappy with the decisions that are on the floor, um, obviously they weren't basketball-wise because they already won a championship doing the exact same thing. So the, the, the people who put the chess, places on the, or chess pieces on the chessboard, maybe that's where the, uh, the buck needs to stop with and – you know, there's been rumors in the past that there, there was going to be changes in the GM and the leadership of the front office with the Lakers over the last four or five years. And there's never been a change. Um, and here we are with this situation multiple years in, uh, which, you know, if you really refer back to I kind of think maybe that's why Magic Johnson left in the awkward manner that he did, because, you know, you, you had ownership that was sort of half half had their hand in a cookie jar, but half disinterested. And, and you either got to be 100 percent fully in and committed or you got to be 100% fully detached and hire people and let them do their job. I mean, we, we've seen how the Cowboys, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, have never really kind of got back to that mountaintop because they sort of ride the fence as well. And I think there's, there, there's a, a very good parallel there. Um, you, you know, as an owner, you're either all in and you're managing it or you're all out and you just sit back and collect checks. I, I think it's really hard to, to ride the fence. But and and you, you can use that same situation at any level. I mean, it'd be like an athletic director at the high school level sitting in practice every day and, and, and making a couple decisions, but then leaving halfway through practice to go and go for the, you know, go to dinner and then let the coach make the rest of the decisions. That kind of stuff just doesn't work. Yeah, that's true. But also at the same time, though, the Lakers and the Cowboys know that people are going to have eyeballs on the team no matter what they do, whether they're winning or they're losing. And that's why I think the Cowboys haven't done anything for the Super Bowl because Jerry Jones knows you're going to watch me anyway. If I just have a put, put a good story together, whether it's good or train wreck, or I put a good team together, no matter what, you're always going to tune in to the Cowboys. Completely agree. They're never going to lose money. There's, people are always going to buy jerseys. They're either going to be buying jerseys because they're happy or they're going to be buying jerseys because they're sad. But there's always going to be interest in, you know, the Cowboys, the Lakers, the Yankees, uh, the Chicago Cubs. I mean, think about it. The Cubs were like the worst team in baseball like for decades, and they were always like at the top of the – uh, uh, paraphernalia and, and endorsement sales. Last question: What does it do to uh, LeBron's legacy? Oh, I mean, I don't think it changes LeBron's legacy. In my opinion, he's al- he's always kind of been <laughs> been what he is. I mean, what, what's the difference if you don't make the playoffs or you go to the NBA Finals and you get blown out? I mean, you know, he's he's going to go down as statistically the greatest player of all time. 
he's going to go down as one of the four or five most physically gifted players to ever play in the NBA. And he's going to go down as probably a top five to eight all-time player ever. Um, but I don't think it tarnishes his legacy. He's just, he's one of the best ever. In my opinion, he'll, he'll probably never be the best ever. I mean, he's too far along in his career and too many, too many, uh, there's been too many speed bumps, you know, that have shown that he's, there's certain things that are just missing from being the greatest of all time. Um, so I wish that conversation would just die. I mean, that's a conversation with, for only, only TV talk shows and, and young people who, who don't understand the history of the game. But I mean, any anyone who's a historian or even just a, a, a intermediate basketball fan, you know, doesn't really believe or think that LeBron James is the greatest player of all time. So that's the only thing that he has left to prove. So I don't think his legacy can be um, added to or augmented or hurt at this point. It's just sort of like, how long does he play? You know, how how much gap does he put between his records? But remember, his records, yes, they're because he's phenomenal. But the, 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 the biggest thing that he's done is, is the longevity. He started at the youngest age and he's played the longest, right? I mean, so that's why he's, he's catching, you know, breaking every single record. So, I mean, you know, there's something to be said about that, the healthiness and the playing and the sticking with it. I mean, he could have left, you know, with $500 million, you know, 10 years ago and just went and sat on a cruise ship or sat on a yacht. But, you know, he does love to play and he's continued to, to grind in the business. So, you know, a lot of kudos to that. But I think his legacy is pretty much going to be, in my opinion, uh, static for the rest of his career. The only thing the left that, you know, that some people think may or may not happen is will he ever have the opportunity to play with his son, uh, which, you know, would be a really cool story. But I mean, I think a lot of people are even overlooking the, uh, the, you know, they're making the assumption that that may or should happen. I'm still not convinced his son's a pro. So, you know, then there's that. I mean, he's getting better. He's not even the best player on his high school team or his AAU team. So I don't know, you know, if you, if you're, if you're an NBA player and you're good enough to have the, the stroke to, um, you know, to, to have some say where you get drafted or picked. I mean, obviously his dad has the power and authority to probably make it happen in the short term, but I'm not convinced yet that he's an NBA player. I, I, I give him one more year. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's super young. He's super young, but people have been saying this since he was in eighth grade. So, you know, you can't, you can't just like make, uh, you know, make, make those projections, especially right. on a, on a smaller guard. I mean, we're not talking about a, a 6'11 big man. That is true. He is about 6'3", 6'4", but his game has come a long way. But, you know, Darren, once again, thanks. Thanks so much again, bringing us great info as always. Uh, Darren, what's up next for you? Oh man, you know, just living a dream. Going to watch these games like you and uh, try to learn a little bit more and, uh, got some guys trying to help uh, from the area get into college uh, through my mentorship program. You know, we've now sent 23 kids from the 419 area code to college for free. Oh. 22 of them had zero scholarship offers uh, before, you know, basically took the reins of their of their situation. So really proud of that. Um, got one um, just got signed up here a couple of days ago and working with another one. And then got a couple of guys that, uh, you know, are finishing their college career that we're working on getting them pro contracts. So always just creeping behind the scenes, uh, trying to impact people's lives through the game of basketball and the 419 area code. I mean, that's what it is always all about, man. Darren Cone, the coach, thanks so much. You bet, my man. Have a great rest of the day. Right, and have a good Easter. Yeah, thank you. See you, buddy. That was Darren Cone, the coach, always on the run. Always on the run. We started out with the NBA round ball classic. Frank Vashner likes it. You can always listen to Darren Cone's segments 
on 88.3 WHUTs. After further review on SoundCloud or on iTunes, uh, he gave him some good stuff right there. A good 45 minutes, nah, maybe 40 minutes of chunk of great information. You can also watch him uh, locally on the BCSN Network. He does boys basketball. Last year, because of COVID, he got into the girls' side. I said, you got to do do the ladies sometimes. And he said, yeah, I could try to do the ladies this sometimes. But then once we kind of got back from COVID, he kind of went back to the boys' side. But once again, always a great guest and always giving us the behind-the-scenes information that you need here on 88.3 WXUT. When we return, more sports talk and uh, more entertainment here on 88.3 WXUT. After further review, we'll be back after this. <laughs> 